0: Uh, to me um, uh, what Cody just said is the, the, the idea that this church um, which started, how long have you all been going Cody nine months. nine months right so nine months I remember calling Cody I was like right after you guys moved to Wichita Falls right in the height of the pandemic and uh, and just asking him like hey what are you, what are you doing he's like well uh, a pandemic just happened, so we're 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 just figuring it out. Um, and it's, I was calling him to learn about church planning. He was like, "I'll I'll call you back." Um, and uh, and it was uh, it's just a good thing. I, I I look forward to to us being able to to work together as a part of our network and just learning from Cody and from Stephanie and and from you guys. Um, uh, seeing what God is doing here is. Uh, an incredible thing, and and God, like Cody mentioned, God's up to something bigger than just Wichita Falls. He's up to something bigger than just Lubbock or just wherever we plant. Um, but He is doing something all around the world, raising up leaders, raising up disciples um, who will who will go and who will uh, preach the gospel, who will start churches in places that need more gospel-centered churches, more life-giving churches. Um, one quick story about that to give you some encouragement. I got the opportunity to. Um, uh, uh, preach about church planting and, and, and how we got here and, and from the story of Acts and Paul and, and all this stuff, and then where we're going and the state of our world right now and why we need to plant more churches and, and stuff like that. I got to do it to a, a few hundred college students in, in Lubbock uh, uh, earlier this week. And, um, and, and, you know, I don't know about you and college students, you, you probably have heard this from people who are of generations previous to you, um, uh, but Gen Z kind of gets a bad rap. America right now is really talking about how Gen Z is irreligious, how uh, uh, the church is worried about uh, numbers and worried about um, seeing this generation in churches and and, and their secularization and and their leaving Christianity and all that stuff. Um, uh, But what I got to see on Tuesday night um, was the exact opposite. What I got to see was a bunch of Gen Zers um, who aren't mad at the church, who aren't looking. Um, they're asking questions. They're, they're curious about this Jesus guy. They're curious about church and stuff like that. But they aren't mad at the church. They aren't leaving. They aren't going anywhere. In fact, um, the only place that they're going is hopefully coming with us. Um, uh, that we, we, we got to preach this and, and, and invited them. I just mentioned, I wasn't doing it a formal invite, didn't have a table in the lobby or anything like that, um, but just mentioned, hey, we're also like, that's my job. That's what I'm doing is I'm going to plant a church in a couple of years. And really what we're looking for is some people who aren't gonna be in ministry, but are gonna have regular jobs, You know, doctors, lawyers, teachers, accountants, baristas, whatever, who are gonna move to this city. And we had a line after the service to come talk to me um, about that, and it got text messages later um, as college students got my number from other college students and say, hey, I wanted to come talk to you, but there were too many people around you. And so uh, just to give you an encouragement about that, there is a generation being lifted up right now that God is raising up that's going to continue this plant, continue this planting work, continue this move um, around the world until um, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language knows the uh, the name of Jesus and has heard his good news. So um, let that be an encouragement to you this morning. I am super excited to be here. My wife and I, my two kids, my two boys, Shepard and Jude, are there in the back, by the way, right here. Um, uh, forgive uh, uh, Rebecca, my wife, if she has to like step out and help somebody, you know, go potty or something like that. That's That's our life right now. And so um, we, uh, uh, we are super excited to be here. We're very grateful for you guys as a community, and like I said, it's been really fun uh, to watch you guys grow and, and to see the ministry done um, on the campus here and then also in the city um, through Redeemer Wichita Falls. Um, so as I understand it, you guys are in the middle of a series in the book of James, and as I also understand it, that you'll begin this series by simply reading the book of James in one sitting right here. Bless you. That's amazing. That's incredible. When Cody told me he did that, I was like, that's awesome. That's so good. And so um, if, you, if you've if you got a Bible, please turn with me to James 1. Um, we're going to just go ahead and continue your series in James, and I'm super excited to pick up um, uh, where you guys have left off. And um, we're actually going to start in a place where y'all have already read, just because um, uh, I think it speaks to what we are I'm supposed to be reading uh, this week in the text that was already read by Morgan. And thank you, Morgan. So just to make sure that we're all on the same page and, and make sure that we're um, uh, all tracking here. James is the uh, a brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus, so he grew up with Jesus. He's been um, hanging out with him his whole life and hearing all of his teaching, hearing all or seeing all that he did. Um, and he is specifically writing to what we call the Jewish diaspora, or the dispersion, as your translation might say. And, and what that is, just Jews who are not in Israel. And so he's writing to Jewish Christians, Messianic Christians, or Messianic Jews, Rather, um, and it's kind of a general sermon um, to all of those people. So we're like a lot of Paul's letters, for example, are written to specific communities, specific churches who have specific problems, and we get to all the get to see all the dirty laundry and read their mail a little bit about those congregations. Um, this one's not like that. It's not to a particular congregation. It's to a general audience, um, of Jewish Christians around uh, the Roman world, and specifically, we know a few things about. Uh, 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 this this group of people is one, they're experiencing a lot of persecution. In fact, James is, is martyred not long after he writes um, this letter, um, and they're going through trials and tribulations. You guys have read that part of James, where he kind of opens the letter. That's that's how bad it is right now. Is that's the first thing he's going to talk about. Um, uh, and then also, if you as you guys read through James, and if you're familiar with the Bible, and, and if you um, know uh, your teachings of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount, and if you know your Proverbs uh, from the Old Testament, so you're going to start to notice that James is quoting his brother a whole lot. Um, in fact, he will, uh, and, and kind of paraphrase type quoting, but he'll, he'll quote his brother in the passages that we'll read uh, this morning. Um, and then also, uh, he, he's going to be writing like a Proverbs type of a book, where it's more like prose, it's like short sentences, short pithy sayings, wisdom for what life is like in the kingdom of God, in short, easy to memorize phrases. And so uh, that's kind of where James is. And and the body of the letter kind of starts in chapter two, which we're going to end right before that. We get to wrap up the introduction to the letter um, uh, this morning. And so um, if you've got your Bible, um, let's go ahead and read the passage that uh, I think you guys, it was last week y'all started or y'all had 16 through 18. Okay. So last week y'all read this, but it's kind of a hinge um, in a way where it's connecting the first part of this introduction to the wrap up of this introduction. And I think also um, it's kind of like the thesis statement. Um, what we're going to read, I, I would say, is kind of like the thesis statement of this uh, book, um, uh, but we, we, can't, we can't understand 19 through 27 without understanding 16 through 18. And so I'm going to start in 16, and we're going to read it all the way through. One note, um, he's going to have a rhythm. James does this. This is kind of his like Proverbs-type mind. Um, he's going to have a rhythm of repetition in what we're going to read, um, and he's going to use the word deceived three times. Okay, and so just see if you can pick it up. See if you can see this repetition, starting in verse 16. Do not, be, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but re, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows and their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So you saw that repeated word "deceived," and so we're going to talk about um, what it's like. Uh, what, what does he mean by "deceived"? And, and we're going to get there. Um, uh, but I, I want to uh, I want to talk a little bit about kind of self awareness. Um, uh, this is kind of the idea that James is, I think, trying to trying to get at. And and I want to kind of tell you where I'm coming from with self awareness. Um, I have this this. Illogical fear, I guess you'd call it a phobia I don't know if there's a name for this Or whatever, I don't know if everybody struggles with this Or if it's just me um, But I've got this crazy fear That I am completely unaware of how I really am Anybody else relate with this? Where, where I will walk out of conversations Or I will walk away from sermons And I will, be, I will think one way Like I might walk going like Man, that was actually pretty good I felt really good about that And then I'm just deathly afraid That everyone in the room disagrees Right. And I have no idea. Or like I'm I'm afraid, like when I'm sitting in a car on a road trip and I'm thinking, okay, like like this is fine, it's good or whatever. And then the thought uh, pops in my head like, do I smell bad and don't know it? Because you've been in a car, right? You've been in a car with somebody who smells bad and they have no idea. You don't want to be that person. Now I'm like always thinking I might be that person. Right? And so I'm deathly afraid of not being self-aware. I'm deathly afraid of being deceived about how I really am. And, and, and James is saying that in, in spirituality, in following Jesus specifically, there, that's, a, that's a possibility. Now, we're going to talk about what that means and where he's going with that and and stuff, but I just wanted to frame that up that way, that there there might be, it's possible, James is saying, that there is a self-awareness problem, that, that you could be deceived. Remember, he's writing to people who are Jews who are following Jesus. Nobody that he is writing to does not think they are following Jesus. They all consider themselves followers of Jesus, but he is saying, he's opening the letter with, do not be deceived. Implying it's possible that you might not be self-aware. And so then he kind of gives us um, our identity in verse 18. um, I'll I'll read it again. Uh, He says, Of his, that is God, God of his own will brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, so this is the statement that James is going to give us our identity in Christ, if you will, and he does it in this weird Jamesy way, and we'll talk about um, uh, what he's saying, um, but um, he's going to give us our identity where he says that of his own will, so God on purpose brought us forth, which is actually the Greek word there means like rebirth. Right, so anybody else like grow up where everybody called themselves a born-again Christian and stuff like that? That's that's what he means. You, you were reborn, you were recreated. So on purpose, God rebirthed you or recreated you by how the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So so God brought us forth on purpose, by his word of truth, by his gospel. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, this first fruits language um, is, is, is weird. We don't use this language at all ever in, in today's uh, uh, modern world. Um, but what James is referring to is any, any kind of Jewish Christian reading this um, would understand, because we know that Paul uses this word several times and, 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 and stuff, that, that what we are headed towards, in, 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 according to the story of the Bible, is uh, we are between the times of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension and then the recreation of all things, the restoration of all things. That the world that we presently know is passing away and eventually Jesus' kingdom will be fulfilled and we will spend eternity in heaven, on the new heaven and the new earth with our savior. We're headed towards that recreation. And James is saying that we, those of us who have been reborn in Christ, those of us who have been recreated are the first fruits of that. We are a foretaste of that. The world can look at us and see the future in a way by looking at us in our lives. And we have a guarantee, like a down payment, Paul will say in other letters, towards that future, towards that hope because of what Jesus has done in our lives. That's who we are. That's our identity. And so James is trying to tell his readers who are in Christ and, and, and that, that their identity, um, uh, about their identity, and then he's going to tell them for the rest of the letter, this should transform the way you live. That's why James is very action-oriented, right? If you've read James before, it's, it's a whole lot of do's and don'ts, right? And that's not because that the gospel says, do this and don't do this and you will be saved. What the gospel says is that because you are saved, you will do this and you will not do this. That our lives, if we are actually in Christ, if we have actually been recreated, our lives will be transformed, and we will start to look like Jesus. We will actually act as first fruits of this new creation. And so, um, uh, uh, so uh, if if we do this, God's word will transform us into the image of Jesus. And then He uses this phrase in verse uh, twenty one. I'm going to jump around, just giving you a warning here. I'm going to go a little bit out of order because I think it helps us understand um, what James is actually saying just a little bit better. So I'm going to skip down, skip 19 and 20. We're going to get back there. But in verse 21, Jesus says, so you are in this new creation. You are this. This is who you are. And then verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word, that same word of truth which is able to save your souls." And so here, actually, I don't think James is, is saying, um, I mean, if you're if you're not a believer and you're not following Jesus and you're just here checking this thing out, I think James's message is absolutely to you that you should believe God's word of truth, that you should believe the gospel, and that it will save your soul um, in that sense of that you are being justified, that you are being saved, as churchy people say it, you know, like, you know, when I was saved, when I was a junior in college, that kind of a thing. But, but remember, James is actually writing to believers. He's writing to followers of Jesus, and so I don't think he's actually talking about that initial transformation, I think what he's talking about is that long-term end transformation, what we call glorification or sanctification, that whole process of becoming more like Jesus. So the phrase that is also often used is, you know, I was saved and now I am always being saved. That I've been justified, but now I'm living a life uh, and, and, and being transformed by God's word of truth and becoming more and more and more like Jesus. So you with me? So, 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 James is going to say, here's your identity. This is who you are because of what God did through his word of truth. And then here's how you act. Put away all filthiness. Put away all um, sin. Put away your old self. Put the death, Paul would say, take off your old self. Put the death your old self and lean into what God is trying to do in you. How do we do that? By receiving with humility the implanted word which is able to save our souls. So this is not just an initial thing. This is a daily thing for a lifetime. We receive God's word over and over and over again. Let me, let me say young people, old people, whatever, whoever, if you do not have a habit of reading your Bible daily, of spending time alone with God um, in his word, there is just no other path for growth for you. You cannot expect to become more like Jesus over a lifetime if you are not trusting and reading and hearing his word of truth why because this is what God uses to save your soul this is how God has set this up that it, it, through his words and by abiding in Christ which by the way in John um, when Jesus says, Abiding in Christ, abide in me. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is how we abide in Jesus that we read his word. We get to know him. We have conversations with him, which is a two way conversation. He's spoken to us. And so we listen. We receive his word of truth over and over and over again. And I, and I love the word that James uses here in verse 21 it says, his, his implanted word. This is an implanted word. Like, like it's not just like this thing that is over here and I can put it on a shelf and then I'll visit it once or, once or twice a week or, or every few months or you know, a year or whatever. It's, it's not something that is separate from me. I can, I can keep it separate from me, um, but if I'm really in Christ, if I've really been transformed, then what God's promised to do is to implant that word in me, that it's, it's, it's going to, to take over me. That it's going to give me a new language to speak. It's going to give me a new worldview to view the world through. It's going to give me new things to do with my life, new purpose, new um, um, hope. That this word is going to change me. It's going to implant itself in me. Receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But here's the thing. If we just receive... In the sense that if we take receive and and we just hear or we just read, then it really doesn't do much, James says. That really the point here is not just to simply listen to the word of God. It's good to listen to the word of God. It's good to read the word of God. Obviously, the word of God cannot be implanted in you if you're not receiving it somehow. But James is talking to a bunch of Jewish Christians, a bunch of followers of Jesus who apparently possibly might be tempted to presume that they are followers of Jesus being transformed into the image of Jesus simply because they are gathering together and hearing the word of truth read over them, or simply because they have a habit of a quiet time every morning, or simply because they do do family devotionals every week or whatever it is. That that James is dealing with somebody, um, a reader, the readers who possibly are only hearing the word and possibly even memorizing it, possibly even um, studying it and doing all these kinds of things with it and stuff, but it's not really transforming them. They're not turning into people who don't get angry anymore. They're not turning into people who bridle their tongue. They're not turning into people who visit widows and visit orphans and fight for social justice in their cities. They're not turning into this community of people. They're gathering, they're reading their word, they're hearing sermons, they listen to their podcasts, they worship together together but they're not being changed. So the question that we have to ask is why not? Doesn't the word of God, if God's going to transform us through his word of truth, why isn't it transforming us? Would be the question. And and James is going to answer that in verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right, so now in modern times, this is like we've got like what five or six, seven mirrors in this room alone, right? And, and so we've got mirrors everywhere in our modern world. Uh, in the first century, that that wasn't true. A mirror um, that you would have it was not like clear glass like this. It wasn't. It was a it was a polished piece of metal. It did the job, but you didn't like get to look at like like you, I, I wouldn't be able to like trim my beard hair um, with with this kind of a mirror. I would miss spots and stuff like that. And so it, it, it didn't show you all of who you were, but it gave you the idea. But here's here's the thing. They didn't have a whole lot of them. And so imagine this. This blows my mind. Um, Maybe it shows my own narcissism that this blows my mind. Um, uh, But um, uh, people did not walk around knowing what they looked like. Isn't that crazy? Like now we have a mirror in my bathroom that I look at every morning, and then three or four times a day on my phone I see myself, right? And then I take the picture, and I hate it, so I take another one, and I hate that one, I take another one, and then eventually give up and never post anything, <laughs> right? And, and so we, we know exactly what we look like. Um, at least that's another thing, another fear of mine is that I don't actually know <laughs> what I look <laughs> like. Um, um, but uh, but we, we know what we look like. Here, um, this would have been, to, to, to see yourself in a mirror would have been, I don't know if it was been like a transforming life, you know, altering experience, um, but it was an experience, that it was something that was different. So the illustration carries a little bit more weight here, but the, but his point is is that when you look into God's word and you hear it, you read it, you take it in, and then you walk away and you are untransformed by it. That you don't put it into action. You don't do what it says. You, the truths in it have not affected you in a way that pour out into your hands, into your feet, in the way that you treat other people, the way that you live your life. When you do that, you are like someone who looks at a mirror and then forgets what they look like. And I don't think James is using this. It's not just like this shallow, surface-level uh, illustration of like, you're, you're just like this dumb guy who can't remember what he looks like. I think what he's saying is that the Word of God is like a mirror, that it actually reads us, that it actually shows us who we are. I don't know about you, but those of us who are in Christ, if you had experience like me, that when I really first understood the gospel, my first reaction was, wow, how great is our God? My second reaction was, how crummy I am. What a terrible person I am. The the, the Bible is like a mirror. Not that it's about us, but it shows us who we really are. Both that we are sinners in need of a Savior, but for those of us who are in Christ that we are sinners who have been saved and are continuing to be saved, that we have been transformed by that word of truth, that it's implanted in us, and that we are becoming more like Jesus every day. And when God looks at us, he's not angry, he's not disappointed, he is delighted. And that we are headed to a future where we will be with our Savior for eternity. It's It's a mirror. It shows us who we really are. And so we... We look at it, and we can either forget who we really are and be not transformed and, and don't do, or we can be like the, uh, the protagonist in this illustration but the one who looks into the perfect law, just another synonym for word in the New Testament. A lot of times you you'll see the word word, see the word law. They're, they're not the same word, but they're synonyms and stuff. They don't, it doesn't necessarily mean like legal law or anything like that. Um, the perfect word of God, the word of liberty, the word of freedom, and perseveres. Remember, they're going through persecution. They're going through tribulations. So those who remember who they are in Christ, they're going to keep going. They're going to keep fighting. They're going to keep um, uh, sharing the gospel um, no matter what comes and being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Now that, that's, that was strange to me when I first read this. Because uh, a little, little bit about my preaching experience here. I started preaching my senior year of college. I became a Christian my junior year of college. And uh, started becoming a leader in the ministry I was in and stuff. And this small country church um, right outside of Arkadelphia, Arkansas. I'm originally from Arkansas. Real small country church that at once I think was 200 or so people. Um, now had dwindled to about uh, 15 or so. All people over the age of 65. And so it was every Sunday it was me and my fiance at the time, Rebecca, and uh, 15 of our closest 65 plus friends, and uh, and we didn't. They asked me. They said, Justin, we don't have anybody to lead worship to do music. Um, would you do it? And I said, No. Um, <laughs> And, and, and so they, we didn't have somebody. We literally, this is just, this has nothing to do, but it's just a funny story. Uh, they, uh, uh, we would sit. I'd, I'd arrive at the church. We would sit in the pews, and we would talk about life for like 10, 15 minutes or so, and then like the matriarch of the church eventually every single Sunday. Justin, it's about time. And so then I'd get up to the pulpit, and I'd preach a sermon that was probably horrible, and, uh, and then I would sit back down. We'd talk about life a little bit longer, and then we'd leave. Um, every single Sunday, without fail, there was this really, really, really old lady who was um, um, like in, like probably in her 90s. And um, and literally, every Sunday, without fail, on the front row, right here, would fall asleep. Every time. And I, and, and I, ne- I tried not to take it personally. It helped that she was 90. You know, I'm like, she's pro- it's probably a good sermon, but she's just 90, you know, and, and stuff. But uh, uh, But she would fall asleep, and then she would wake up, I think when I just said amen, you know, they should wake up. It's like, oh, great. It's over. Um, and, and then she'd come up to me and she's every Sunday, every single Sunday. I was really blessed by that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad. I'm glad I could provide you with your morning nap. Um, and uh, and she would come up to me and say, I was really blessed by that. I was really blessed by that. Now Now, here's the deal. She didn't hear a word. But I get that a lot now. I get that a lot now when I preach. People would say, I was really blessed by that, or I really enjoyed that, or that really spoke to me, or that really convicted me. And that's the real Christians are the ones who are like, that really convicted me. I was, they punched me in the gut with that one. I'm like, that's such a violent. Okay, but, um, uh, and, and they would all come up to me. And, and I don't, I'm not saying any of them are not sincere or anything like that. I, I believe they are. Um, but this is something that we often say, that we, we hear the word of God preached. We, we read it or whatever, and it's a blessing to us. It's an encouragement to us. It does something for us. But then a lot of us are still kind of dissatisfied. A lot of us, we get the blessing, and and then we have to become like like conviction addicts, right? Like, do you know these people who who go to churches and stuff? And every sermon um, is, oh, man, that really hit me hard. That convicted me. Man, I walked out of there feeling terrible about myself. I loved it. And they do it every single Sunday. But they're never changing is they're trying to receive blessing from hearing the word of God. And don't get me wrong, you receive blessing from hearing the word of God. But if you want to receive the real blessing, you let the word of God transform you and you put it into action. And this is a question, one of the big questions in James, he starts it off, you know, talking about trials and tribulations and whether or not God tempts us or not. One of the big questions in James is, is God good? Is God good? And I think here, if you're asking that question, it's like, is God's word good? Is God good? If you believe that, then you'll put it to the test. You'll take him at his word, you'll hear what he says, and you'll follow him in it. No matter what it calls him to do. No matter what it calls you to do. It calls you to move into the bad neighborhood in town so that you can minister to families less fortunate. Go for it. God's good. If he's telling you to do that, he'll do it. Is he calling you to go somewhere? Is he calling you to go plant a church somewhere? Not as a not as a minister or a, a pastor or something like that, but just as a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant or whatever. Is he calling you to pick up your family, quit your job, and go get another one just for the purpose of planting a church? Maybe. Is he good? If he's good, do it. Is he calling you to visit the widow and the orphan? Is he calling you to fight for social justice in your city, to, 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 again, move into those neighborhoods, to get involved with the ministries that are already happening here in Wichita Falls that I'm sure are awesome, um, who are empowering people, who are raising up the poor? And, and are you going to go in there and give a cold water and, uh, a cup of cold water in Jesus' name? If he's calling you to do that, then he's good. Go do it. Is he calling you to give up your anger problem? Right, like I don't want to skip over that where he says, "Do not be angry, but be uh, slow to speak and quick to listen." Right, like this is a character formation here that like, Jesus is trying to change your character. And, and and here, guys, especially the men in the room, I know um, that women struggle with this too, but especially the men, like anger is a real issue. Most pastor friends I know counsel men on anger almost as much as they do pornography. Anger is a real issue. And are you willing to step into what God is trying to do to you, receive the word that He's trying to implant in you, and to put it into action, to, to lean in, to, to, to figure out this anger thing? Are you willing to become someone that you're not right now, is the big general way of saying that. Are you willing to be transformed by God? Are you willing to control your tongue? Are you willing to speak life into people rather than speaking death? Are you willing to admit that you have a gossip problem? Are you willing to admit that you have a slander problem? Are you willing to admit that you're judgmental? And allow Jesus to move in you and transform you by his word of truth so that you can start putting into action, speaking life into people, so that you can start loving people well with your words, by encouraging people. Are you willing to do God's word? Are you willing to put it into action? But James is giving a stern warning. There will be some who think they are being transformed, who think that they are reborn, and they are deceived. They know the word. They hear it. and Maybe even love it. But it's not implanted in them, and they aren't being transformed by it. Why not? Because they're only hearers, not doers. The blessing in God's word is not in hearing alone, but it's in doing. The word for hearing and listening in the Bible Um, Is not like the word for hearing and listening in English that we use now. When we say hear or we say listen, we only mean the audible action. Um, But we actually have a way of using the word listen um, that is more like the word used in the Bible. Um, uh, And parents, you will know this. Um, uh, When I say listen to my son Shep, my two-and-a-half-year-old, pray for us, um, uh, uh, I don't mean hear what I'm saying. I mean listen to what I'm saying, Right? And and, and this is we're dealing. This we're getting. We're creeping up on three years old here, which you know uh, we we were told you know about terrible twos, and then we found out that the only people who say terrible twos are the people who haven't had a three year old yet. And so, uh, so we're creeping up on this on this uh, uh, (laughs) let's say challenging personality uh, uh, that Shep has, and he's he's like his dad. And so uh, uh, we'll tell him. I tell him all the time, "Hey, I need you to clean your room. I need you to clean your room." And I'm trying to teach him to do it on his own, right? We've been helping him with it. We've been doing all this stuff. is showing him how to do it. And so now I'm trying to teach him independence. So I'm like, hey, clean your room. I'm going to come back in five minutes. If you have not cleaned your room, then you're going to blah, 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 whatever, right? And, and so we're, we're do this and I know, I just know what's going to happen, right? I'm going to leave in five minutes. I'm going to walk in there and he's going to have been distracted playing with one of his toys um, that he was trying to clean up. He's like, oh, this is cool. Let's do this, right? And, and so um, we're just trying to teach him and we do that with grace and stuff like that. But just imagine imagine for a second i go to shepherd and i say hey i need you to clean your room i'm gonna be back in five minutes when i come back i want your room to be clean and I, and I and i leave and i come back and it's not clean and shepherd says i i listened i heard what you said dad it blessed me <laughs> i was encouraged by that it challenged me i was convicted of the fact that i don't clean my room and i want to change um you know, Or better yet, like, I'm, I'm a seminary grad or whatever. I'm a minister. This is my struggle or whatever. He's like, Dad, you know, I, I, I heard what you said. I got a bunch of people together, actually. We studied it really deeply. And um, actually, I actually memorized what you said in the original Greek. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's, it's, it's pretty awesome. We know everything about what you said. We broke it down. It's really good. I'm preaching sermon on, sermons on it now. It's awesome. No, I'm still, I'm still going to be angry. I'm still going to be mad, even more so, because it seems like he got it. And yet he still chose not to trust me that it was the right thing, that it was the good thing, that it was the thing that was best for him, that it was the thing that I was calling to him, not because I'm some boss man in the sky, but because I am a good father who wants what's best for my kids. We are not blessed in simply hearing God's word, but in doing it. And our doing of God's word will be an outpouring of our identity in Christ. That if we are transformed, if we are being transformed, if we are the first fruits of God's recreation, if that is who we are, that we've been made new by God's word of truth, by Jesus, then this is what our lives will look like. But in today's country, I don't don't know if you guys struggle with it in Wichita Falls. We struggle with it in Lubbock and where I came from. Uh, in Waco and in Arkansas, every hometown I've ever lived in, we've had this problem where we have created a Christianity where you can attend church regularly and try really hard not to sin and that's it. And that's just not the Christianity that Jesus invites us into. That's not the Christianity that I wanna be a part of. Jesus invites us to follow him to the ends of the earth. He invites us to go to the deepest, darkest places. He invites us to be transformed. He invites us for our families to come together and to transform cities, to renew cities, to be agents of the gospel in his cities and stuff. And that's our identity. Christ came and lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved, and beat death and rose to life, and, and now sits on the right, at the right hand of the Father on his throne as king of the universe, making sure all things hold together and spurring his kingdom along, pushing his kingdom along, advancing his kingdom around the world until the completion of all things when heaven and earth are one and things are as they were supposed to be and everything has been recreated and we spend eternity with God in the new heaven and the new earth. That's that's what Jesus is doing. He's inviting, in, uh, he's inviting us to participate in that. And that means that we've got to get off the bench. And we've got to get in the game. We've got to be doers of the words, not just hearers. So we have a choice. Will we be hearers only? Or will we be doers, being transformed by the word of truth? Let's pray.